Because faith comes through hearing the message of Christ, this sermon has been uploaded for you by Grace Unlimited, a ministry that functions out of Living Hope Church, Pretoria, South Africa. We want Jesus Christ to have first place in everything in our church. And we want to help you know and follow Jesus in all of life and to help others do the same. Find out more or download many more free sermons at graceunlimited.co.za or livinghopechurch.co.za. Good morning everyone, wonderful to see you again, uh, we were just joking today because we thought that maybe everybody had thought that yesterday was church and not today, but I'm glad to see you all here today, ready for another round this weekend as we look forward to enjoying Christmas together. Unfortunately Blake is not well, so he asked me to take his place today, so if you get another Lester sermon. So, I know one thing that Akani was saying just now is that, uh, well, let me start one step back. I read about a preacher who said once that it's not the workload that wears pastors out, but a sleeping audience. So, in this church, we love it when people say, yes, amen, you know, agree vocally, you know, it keeps us encouraged as well. It's a, it's a very discouraging thing for guys who preach and nobody's as moved about the text as the, as the speaker is. So today, if, you, if God moves your heart, you're welcome to communicate that. Lungi, you're welcome to say yes. <laughs> I know Lungi likes doing that. So, you know, if you want to follow her lead, that's great, man. So guys, um, of course, I only had about one morning to prepare for this, so I thought I would go back into my archives and I would choose a sermon that I've preached before. So those of you who were here in 2014, you know, in the Lutheran Hall store, I preached this message before, but of course I've changed it. You know, it's not the same message, it's different, but the same text and the same illustration that I've used, the same effect I'll be preaching out of. So may God use this to encourage you. If it's the first time you've heard it, may God move you through this text. And if it's the second time you've heard it, may God refresh this message in your heart and that you'll come back to Psalm 130 in your times of difficulty, times of suffering and times of distress, and that God would encourage you through these fine nuances that we find in this text. If you look at this picture on the screen, uh, it doesn't look like much of a picture, but that picture has got something, just the one step back, that picture has got uh, a lot to do with what I'm speaking about today. And that picture is, if you can see it, it's a guy's fingers, and he's at the bottom of the ocean. And this, this is all going to make sense in a moment, if you haven't heard this before. So in Nigeria, just off the coast of Nigeria in 2013, March I believe it was, there was a tugboat... You know, a tugboat is difficult to sink, but this particular tugboat, it sank. And this boat's name was Jaskon 4. It's a very famous story. You can Google this. In fact, after the sermon, I'll put a link on the members group. And then you can go and watch this, this video of this whole incident. And you can agree with me how amazing this story is. So this tugboat is 
is uh, busy with an operation just off the coast of Nigeria. And while the crew on the ship are sleeping at night, this huge big wave comes along and just rolls the tugboat. And the tugboat sank all the way to the bottom of the ocean. It was lying upside down on the ocean floor in some deep silt. There were 12 crew members on that tugboat and 11 of them died. This guy that you see in the picture, his name's Harrison. And Harrison was the cook on that tugboat. And the, the craziest thing about Harrison's story is that this tugboat was busy operating in waters where there was a high um, occurrence of piracy. There were a lot of pirates, pirates in that area who were stealing from the international ships, you know, that were, were dredging, you know, looking for minerals and that on the floor of the ocean there. And so the tugboat's crew were told that at night you sleep with the bedroom door locked. You don't just sleep on the boat because you're out in the middle of the ocean with your door open. You lock the door because we don't want the pirates taking charge of this tugboat. So they were all sleeping in their bedroom with the door locked. And this guy, Harrison, in the middle of the night, as ordinary as it seems, he gets up in the middle of the night and he needs to go to the toilet. He opens the door, he closes it behind him, he goes to the toilet. While he's sitting on the toilet, this wave takes his boat and tips it over and it takes the boat down to the bottom of the ocean. And it's because Harrison went to the toilet at that time of the night, he didn't die in that locked bedroom with all of his 11 friends. But instead, Harrison, while he was in the toilet there, the boat's upside down, so the floor is above his head, and there's this little bubble of air between the top of the water and the floor of the little toilet room. So, of course, Harrison swims up to the top, and he's got his head sticking out of the water. Now, he's 30 meters down at the bottom of the ocean in an upside-down boat. He's the only one who is alive at this point in the boat. And he realizes that little pocket of air inside of the toilet is so small that he's already starting to feel the air is running out. So you can imagine what Harrison does. This boat's upside down. It's disorientating. He doesn't even know what direction to go. But he decides with the last little bit of air he's got, he's going to take a deep breath and he's going to swim down and he's going to go through the doorway and he's going to try and find a bigger room inside of the tugboat where he can come up and find more air. So he swims down under the water, he goes through the doorway and he realizes there's no way back now. He's got to just swim and he's got to find air somewhere in that boat. And he comes up and he's in a bigger room and he's so grateful that he's in this bigger room because now he's got more, more air to breathe. But of course we will agree that just because he's found a bigger pocket of air, it doesn't mean that everything's going to be okay. He, that air is only going to last so long. And 30 meters down on the bottom of the ocean floor, that air is so compressed, there's a very, very, very high concentration of, of air down at that, that level. There were complications later, I won't go into all of that. But you can, the point that I'm trying to make here is that this guy Harrison is in a desperate situation here. One little boat in the middle of the night at the bottom of the ocean I mean, who is sitting around thinking, oh no, Harrison's at the bottom of the ocean, we better go save him. He's alone. There's one tiny little guy 
Inside of there, you can see in that picture there's light. But in, obviously, at 30 meters down, it's pitch black. Absolutely pitch black. It's quiet inside of that thing. Oh, here's my notes. Thanks, Brad. You know, it's quiet apart from... Thank you. It's quiet apart from all of the, the groaning and creaking of the boat. You can hear the fish swimming in and out of the boat and going in the water every time he moves. So he's busy splashing the water around to chase these sea creatures away. He, can, he senses that they're there and he thinks they want to eat him. And you can imagine how desperate his situation is. It seems that there's absolutely no hope of escape from this situation. And it is here we come to Psalm 130. And Psalm 130 is a beautiful psalm. It's very, very short. Just a few verses in Psalm 130. And it's about a person who is in a desperate, desperate situation. And how he calls out to God in his desperate situation. And as small as that seems, as pathetic as it seems to be a guy trapped in a situation like this, calling out to God, what's God going to do in this situation? I mean, honestly speaking, the situation is beyond repair, isn't it? And in Psalm 130, you've got a, a man crying out to God and his situation is absolutely desperate. And you see what brought this man hope in this situation. Psalm 130 and verse 1, he says, Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. And you can see why I found this story so appealing. Out of the depths I cry. Here's this man, Harrison, at the bottom of the ocean. What does he have to do? He's in the depths, he's in a situation, he's, he's in a calamity that is beyond his ability to endure. He's going to die. Absolutely desperate. This is a hard thing for him, facing his own death. He's in pain. He's been injured while the boat's been rolled in that wave and he's going down. And at this point, Harrison begins to call out to the Lord. What else is there to do? Speak to God. Imagine, imagine God couldn't hear through 30 meters of water. Then what? You know, what if prayers don't go through water? Isn't that an amazing reality for a guy trapped in that desperate, desperate situation that he can speak and God Almighty hears him? <laughs> the creator of the oceans. The creator of that man. The creator of the fish that are swimming around him and want to eat him while he's in that water. And isn't it amazing? One of the things I've discovered in my life is what pain it takes for me to come to the point where I finally cry out to God. Isn't it bizarre how proud we are that God can press us and press us and press us into misery and sorrow and difficulty. But we're so proud we just keep thinking I can do this. I've got this. I can handle this. And how much it takes to press us to the point where we call out to God. And that psalm goes on in the second half of that verse. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. And here's this little voice. How big is this guy, Harrison? How big is his voice there at the bottom of the ocean? You know, it doesn't matter how loud he shouts. Nobody's going to hear him. But he takes his little voice and he calls out to God in the bottom of the ocean and somebody hears. God hears. 
And my point here is that as the psalmist is writing the psalm, he's saying, it's me, I cry out to you, O Lord. It's me, Lord, I'm calling for help. It's not just anybody else, it's me, I'm calling you. God, please help me, please hear my voice. And this makes pain and suffering such a personal thing, doesn't it? Like that guy at the bottom of the ocean, it's so personal. It's not, God, please help all the mariners who are out on the ocean. It's God, I am trapped in this little bubble of air and I'm going to die. God, this is personal. I'm suffering. You, Lord, you have the ability to help me. Lord, you, please help me. It's so personal when God brings you to the point where you finally cry out to Him in suffering. One thing I've learned in my life is that when you're facing death, nothing matters anymore except that it's you and God. And you call out to God. Nothing, everything fades. Riches become insignificant. Poverty vanishes. Your reputation, your status in this world, the adoration and the admiration of other people disappears. All of your accomplishments mean nothing to you. Your transport, your housing, your employment, your gardens, your books, your influence in this world, your jewelry, your valuable collections, your budgets, your plans for the future, your personal tastes, your likes and your dislikes, all of your dreams, all of your favorite entertainment, all of these things just absolutely vanish and it's just you and God and nothing else matters. Isn't that what happened to this guy Harrison at the bottom of the ocean? All that matters now is him and God. I cry out to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. He's desperate. In fact, Harrison... Now, this is a bit of a spoiler, okay, in the story, so unfortunately, I have to give you the spoiler, but Harrison, while he was at the bottom of that ocean, in that boat, he was quoting Psalm 54, verses 1 and 4. What does Psalm 54, verses 1 and 4 say? Oh God, by your name, save me. The Lord sustains my life. That's all he could remember from a text that his girlfriend sent him one time. Oh God, by your name, save me. It seems so pitiful, this little man trapped in a bubble at the bottom of the ocean. He's speaking these words. Oh God, by your name, save me. The Lord sustains my life. He went on and on and on, calling the Lord to save him. Lord, save me. Lord, save me. And there he's trapped under the ocean without a hope. So the psalm goes on, in the second half of verse 2, he starts, Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord, O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. And you know very well that God's mercy is that attribute of God that moves him toward people who are in distress. People who are suffering. God is moved. When God sees people suffering, God is moved. I find that one of the most amazing things about God is that when God looks at me when I'm suffering, God is moved. When God looks at a man like Harrison trapped at the bottom of the ocean, he might mean nothing to, to anybody on earth. He might be an insignificant guy. He's a cook on a tugboat. But because he's suffering, 
God is moved towards this man. And he's calling out to God to save him. And God is moved by Harrison's mercy, uh, by Harrison's distress. We think of that man at the bottom there. Another spoiler. How did he survive all of those hours in that little bubble? Well, all he had was his boxer shorts on. And of course, 30 meters down, it's getting very cold in the ocean. And he's floating in the, in the ocean under there for 60 hours. Pitch black. So he starts scratching around him because the water's so deep, you know, that he's got his head through out of the water, but his feet can't touch the bottom. So he realizes he's going to die from hypothermia there. So he starts scratching around for some stuff in the room where he was. And he found a mattress and he found this piece of, of wood in there, like this piece of board. I don't know what it was. And he starts putting these things together and he manages to you know, pull himself up on top of that. So the top part of his body is out of the water, but the bottom part, bottom part of his body is still in the water. So he's freezing cold down there, floating and shivering and running out of oxygen minute by minute the oxygen is going lower and lower and the carbon dioxide in the air is going higher and higher so he's starting to feel a little bit delirious under there and he knows he's gonna die he's facing his own death and he's calling out to God and God is a God of mercy and God looks at that man suffering in that predicament and God hears a cry like that I mean, that's encouraging for you and I when we're suffering, isn't it? It seems, honestly, some of these situations we get ourselves into just seems like there's no escape, man. We've engineered our lives into a corner and you think to yourself, this is the end. I mean, there's no life for me after this. There's going to be misery for the rest of my life. And what an amazing thing that even in that darkness, you call out to God. And because God is a God of mercy and because God is a God who is moved by your misery, we can have hope. We can trust the character of God. God didn't promise to rescue this guy out of the ship. But this man trusted in the character of God. He's a God of mercy. Therefore I have hope. Even if I die, I die with hope. We trust the character of God. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. How overwhelmingly beautiful when God Almighty is moved by your distress. I find that so moving when I think of God being moved by, by my, my distress. I, I think I have no right to call on God Almighty to come to me and relieve my distress. But He does. What an amazing mercy that is. What a wonderful thing about God that is. And moreover, isn't it amazing that God often uses ordinary means to relieve your distress. Like this guy Harrison, he's at the bottom of the ocean. I mean, God could have just come with a hand of God and scooped that boat off the bottom of the ocean and put it back on the surface, you know, tip the water out and put that boat back on the surface. He's got the power to do that. God could have, could have given this Harrison extraordinary lungs or extraordinary strength so he could have punched a hole through the side of that boat and swam free. God could have done any kind of miracle. But God chooses often in your life and my life and in Harrison's life to use ordinary means to rescue you out of your misery. And how wonderful it is that God is moved to do that. So it says there in verse 2, Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. 
And skipping over to verse 5, we're going to come to those missing verses in a moment. Verse 5 says, I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. And in His word I put my hope. Isn't that what Harrison did there at the bottom of the ocean? He said, look, all I have is this one psalm. My girlfriend sent it to me on a text some time ago. I remember it. Thank God he remembered that psalm. And all he has is the words of God. The words God has spoken. And you know in your darkness that's all you've got as well. All we have is the character of God. In the confusion, in the misery that we see in this world around us, we have the beautiful words of God. We can trust God's words. So of course, while you can't demand mercy from God, we can wait and we can wait in hope. That's exactly what this text says. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. And in His word I have put my hope. We've got God has spoken. What a beautiful reality. Imagine, like I often ask you, imagine this wasn't true. Imagine God had never spoken. What would we be missing in our lives? What What would we not know about God? And when you think about that dark and miserable picture, you suddenly say, thank you God that you have spoken. Thank you God that in my deepest misery, I have your words. I've said here before, again, the night my wife died, I remember going on my knees next to the bed and opening my Bible thinking to myself, all I need is to read the words of God right now. And I opened my Bible, I didn't care where I opened it, and my Bible opened at Psalm 9. And what a beautiful psalm that was. I read it and I I was just crying, reading what a blessing and what a comfort those words to me. You can go and read Psalm 9, okay, and enjoy it. I've got enough to say today. But my point is, the words of God are so precious to a person who is suffering. When you're in tears, the words of God are medicine to the soul. And here's Harrison at the bottom of the ocean. And all he has is some of the words of God. It is hanging on the words of God. Just a few words. They didn't even fit into a context for him. But he's hanging on God. And he's hanging on the words of God. The words that God wrote down for him on that day. And who knows? I mean, what moved his girlfriend to send him those particular words? But those words are life to him in that moment. God's character is all you have. But God's character is all you need in that suffering. And there's Harrison, and he believes that beyond any shadow of a doubt, while his life is in danger. Something absolutely certain in the uncertainties that you face. And we can say, God, thank you. God, thank you that that one little light is what sustains a man like Harrison at the bottom of the ocean when he's honestly he thinks he's about to die. Notice in verse 6 he carries on and he says and this is one of the one of the lines in the psalm that comes back to my mind often again and again and again he says my soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen wait for the morning more than watchmen wait for the morning how does your soul wait for the Lord it's like that it's like a watchman at night And of course this watchman could either be um, a shepherd or it could be a military man, you know, like a watchman who's guarding a city or guarding a village or being in a military outpost somewhere, you know, waiting for the morning to come. And if you've ever done this before, if you've ever been a watchman, if you've stood awake alone at night 
trying to protect something from enemies or you know if you've lain awake in your bed at night and you can't sleep because some fear has taken a hold of you you think your health is failing you you think you might be dead before the morning you think of of somebody out on the road driving and you're worried about them and you haven't heard from them for a while and you you're caring about them you think they might have had an accident you you're worried about a friend or family member who's gone into hospital for an operation for example and your mind just can't rest and you you're awake at night and things are just so unusual and sort of freakish at night your mind begins to play tricks on you you start hearing things that are not actually happening at night you might be facing darkness if you're outside and cold being alone being responsible for other people if i fall asleep now other people's lives are in danger think about the the personal sacrifice that you go to i'm the i'm the person on god duty here if an enemy comes along i'm the first one they're going to shoot if i don't see them first i mean i know i've been on god duty in the army and I often used to think, I'm walking around here, I'm like a sitting duck. If somebody wants to attack this base, they're going to see me from a distance. They're going to shoot me out of the darkness before I even know they're there. And they're going to come and overrun the place. So with, with a watchman, there's some personal risk involved. So he's got to go out there, he's got to face danger, and he's got to face danger in order to protect other people. So of course, when you're on guard duty at night, or if you're a shepherd and you think there's wild animals coming to kill your sheep, and you've got to go and fight off those wild animals, like David with a lion and the bear, you know that this is personal sacrifice that is required. Your life is on the line. So the hours of the night, they just go on and on and on, and when is this danger going to end? Something like the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross, as He's calling out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And you know well, as we've preached this multiple times before, he's quoting Psalm 22. And the idea in the psalm is not, God, I'm so confused why it is that I'm suffering here. He's saying, God, it seems that the wrath has been poured out for such a long time. It must be coming to an end. You know, why have you forsaken me so long? So in the darkness, even the Lord Jesus Christ is calling out. And Harrison is calling out in the darkness. And you call out in the darkness and it's like, Lord, how much longer must this go? When is this going to come to an end? So more than watchmen wait for the morning, so the psalmist's soul waits for the Lord. It's a longing for God. For me, it's a longing to see Jesus in the flesh. Like Job, though he slay me, yet will I hope in him. Harrison is longing just for one sign that everything's going to be okay. He doesn't hear any voices. He hears nothing. He's under the ocean there. His oxygen supply is running lower and lower and lower. He's got some hope because he's praying. But at the same time, I think he realistically thinks, this, uh, actually realistically, there's no way... I'm going to get out of here. And I honestly think Harrison is preparing to die in that little bubble. He's a crushed soul. And he's just longing for one little sign of hope that something's going to change his situation. And in your own discouragement, in your own depression, 
Aren't you just longing for one little thing that gives you hope? One little thing that says to you, it's going to be okay. As you're calling out to God and the darkness just lasts, the darkness just doesn't lift. And on top of that, you may be living in the fear of death. As the writer to the Hebrews says, living all their lives in the fear of death, in the terror of death. Struggling with the thought, I'm going to die, I'm going to die, I'm going to die. Longing, longing, longing for the morning. I mean, you can see this guy. He's longing for the morning, isn't he? He's longing for hope. He's longing for rescue. He's longing for some relief. But interestingly, in the psalm, the psalmist adds one little detail here that adds to Harrison's situation and adds to your situation in your distress. He says in verse 3, these are the verses that I left out, verses 3 and 4. He says, If you, O Lord, kept a record of sins, O Lord, who could stand? Isn't it remarkable that this man Harrison, while he's at the bottom of the ocean, his first thoughts are to begin to call out to God. Suddenly this becomes a spiritual issue. I know in Africa everything is a spiritual issue. As it's not a big jump for us to make. You get, you get trapped in the bottom of a boat like that at the bottom of the ocean and you think you're going to die. It's a spiritual issue. Suddenly it's between you and God. And suddenly you feel afraid of dying, not being right before God. I know when I've faced death, it's just me and God. And that's how the psalm began, you remember. It's me calling out to you, Lord. And I'm sure at this stage, as Harrison is at the bottom of the ocean in that boat, while he's quoting that psalm, one of the things that he's thinking about is the spreadsheet of sin that is scrolling before his eyes. And he's remembering all of the things that he's done. He's remembering the way he's lived. And he's realized there's no way for me to go back and fix that all right now. Honestly, as I sit here before God, it's God's mercy that I depend on. If God is not merciful to me in my sin, I'm absolutely lost. Can you imagine, on top of the physical suffering that this man is enduring, is the burden of his spiritual state before God. And I pray to God that God used this in order to save this man's soul. I pray to God that that was true, that it wasn't just a little spiritual exercise for him. But you know that in your suffering, it's a spiritual exercise. Suddenly, when calamity comes upon you, God comes upon you. And you need to know how to think about God. So this man Harrison, in addition to his physical distress, he's in spiritual distress. He's making this, if I may say, a God thing. It's a God thing to him. He's calling out to God and he's believing that God can hear him. Of course you and I have been there, haven't we? We've been at that point. You felt the weight of distress. Jesus knows what that is like, the distress in those dark hours. And Jesus is hanging there and dying in my place and in your place. And you know, one of the things that I think one of the objections that people often have is they say, you know, but it's just so hard for me to be the kind of person who is always spiritually uh, invigorated, you know, always enthusiastic about spiritual things. And... It took me a long time to realize that even that 
is on the spreadsheet of sin before God. I'm the kind of being God who cannot even summon excitement about spiritual things. I'm, I'm indifferent. I'm lazy. I don't see God as big and glorious and wonderful. And that should not be an excuse for us. That should be something that you bring to God. You say, God, you know, honestly, you know my heart. You know that there's nothing in my heart that reaches out to you apart from the work that you yourself have done in my heart. Apart from that, I would be a total enemy of God forever and ever. God, you know the lack of desire I have for you. Please forgive me for that sin. I trust you, Lord, that you're not going to leave me in the misery of indifference to God. That's what Akani was saying earlier today. You know, calling out you know, to us as a congregation, see God. Let's be on our knees. Let's look up at God and say, God, please stir our hearts. Make us excited about meeting together with each other. Let's get, God, make us people who love to see Jesus. I want to just make a note of this point, And that is that if you read the psalm right at the top, you'll notice that the type of psalm, this is a psalm of ascents. And this is interesting here because it's a psalm of ascents. And if you know what the psalm of ascents are, they are psalms that the Israelites used to sing along the road while they were going up to Jerusalem once a year to offer their sacrifices for sin. So, what is it? You've got guilty people, people who are aware of their sin, all the sins they've committed during the year, and they've raised for themselves a lamb or whatever their sacrifice is going to be, depending on or what the law required for their particular sins. And they've got to take that lamb, they've got to tie a rope around the, the neck of that lamb, and they've got to walk all the way to Jerusalem with that lamb. Can you imagine that journey? The lamb walking next to you, and you just going, and this lamb's going to die for your sin when you get to Jerusalem. And they're singing this song. They're singing the song of ascents, this very psalm that we're busy reading here. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. And in His word I put my hope. My soul waits for the Lord. More than watchmen wait for the morning. More than watchmen wait for the morning. The psalmist, these people going up to Jerusalem to sacrifice for their sins. They're calling on God to look at them in the distress, their burdenedness because of their sin. And to accept this offering on their behalf and to set them free. I mean, isn't... Doesn't this suit Harrison's story? As he's calling out to God, God have mercy on me. You know, God save me. God rescue me. The psalmist, he can't wait to get there. He can't wait to confess his sins. He can't wait to know that he's clean before God and he can stand boldly and confidently and live in front of other people as a man who's been, been redeemed by the grace of God. Spiritual distress, of course. Yes, Harrison's physical predicament is terrible. But that is nothing compared to a person's spiritual distress. When they stand before God and they're not right before God. What an absolute calamity if you're sitting here today even and your heart is not right before God. If you've never known the saving grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Never known what it's like. To be radically transformed by the Spirit of God. 
Never known what it's like to be able to see spiritual realities, to see the risen Christ. To be able to see the kingdom of God and be motivated by it. That's a tragedy. We sit here today and we look at Harrison stuck in that little bubble 30 meters down on the ocean floor. And we think, oh, what a terrible situation. But honestly, not knowing God, not knowing Jesus as your Savior is a far worse predicament than Harrison is in. If Harrison is a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ and he dies in that bubble, he's better off than the person who's sitting here who's not trapped in that predicament and dies without the Lord Jesus Christ. One thing that I can't get over with Harrison's situation is the vastness of the ocean. I mean, the ocean is vast. Inside of that massive, vast ocean at night, pitch black, you've got this one tiny little boat. Inside of that tiny boat, you've got this one tiny little guy. Inside of that boat, you've got this one tiny little pocket of air. And this guy's just breathing for dear life. He's just trying to survive. But this man is speaking to God. He's calling out to God. So what happens... I'm sorry, last time I told the story, I forget to tell you the end, so I'm going to tell you now. You've got to hear the end, hey? So Harrison is there in the bubble, gasping for air. The carbon dioxide is going up and up and up. And on the coast of Nigeria, they couldn't find a sufficiently equipped team in order to go down into the boat and, and look for survivors. So they left it for 60 hours and they shipped in a, a, a crew, a diving crew from South Africa, incidentally, to go all the way up to Nigeria by sea and to go in there and pull out the dead bodies. It was a, a body recovery mission. And as the divers went into that boat, I'll share the link so you can see the actual video of the divers going into that boat. As the divers are going into that boat, you can see one of the divers going floor after floor, you know, in this upside down boat, you know, going up to the bottom of the boat, if you know what I mean. And you can see him going through the stairwell, and as he passes this one doorway, Harrison is under, you know, he's inside there in his bubble, and he sees the light of the diver coming past the door. And he gets such a fright, you can imagine him freaking out. He jumps off this mattress thing that he'd been floating on and he tries to swim for the door but he's so delirious you know because of his you know lack of oxygen and his weakness from being under there 60 hours he starts swimming but he's, he's very weak and he swims toward the diver and the diver goes past and the diver thought he heard something so he turns around and he goes swimming in through that doorway and that picture that I showed you in the beginning that's the hand of a man that the diver sees in that murky water he says oh I can see one and as he reaches out to grab the body and to pull the body out of the door the hand grabs him <laughs> and you can see this diver's hand grabbing Harrison's hand and he's not gonna let go man and you know when he says he's alive you can hear this whole team you know like what they can't believe it there's somebody alive after all of those hours later on the scientists who went through the data they said according to what they could calculate the amount of oxygen that that guy had that Harrison had that oxygen should have been depleted after 48 hours 
So Harrison should have died at the 48 hour mark. But at 60 hours they find him alive under the water. And they said that the only explanation, apart from God of course, this is not scientific. Of course he's calling out to God. But the only explanation that we come up with scientifically is that while he was thrashing around in the water because he heard fish. Thought the fish were going to come and eat him. While he was thrashing in the water that the water was absorbing more carbon dioxide than it would have if it was just lying still. So he's just thrashing and he's calling out to the Lord and God sends a diver into that room at the bottom of the ocean, grabs his hand in this murky water, you can't see anything. And that scene, that picture that you've been looking at the whole time of, of Harrison, there's footage of the diver coming up out of the water and you can see Harrison in the water he doesn't know what's going to come up there and you can just see him going <laughs> you know like he wants to cry you know after 60 hours in pitch darkness he sees this diver and this diver's holding his hand and it's one of the moments that this guy is experiencing in his life that is beyond anything he's ever experienced i'm sure rescue god sends these ordinary means to rescue this guy who's calling out to god oh god by your name save me and god rescues this man out of this terrible predicament. I find so much hope in it. And the psalm ends in the last couple of verses. Verse 4 he says. But with you there is forgiveness. Therefore you are feared. God forgives. Can you imagine this guy Harrison. There at the bottom of the boat. You can see they've got this harness on him. And you know they're ready to pull him out. They put a diver's mask on him. And, and they rescued the guy. But how wonderful it is. That God being moved by a people's distress, by the misery of human beings, He comes to them and He unburdens them. He lifts that burden of misery, lifts the burden of distress. Even if the physical circumstances don't change, the wonderful relief of being forgiven by God, of God Almighty coming to you and saying, Alan, I will no longer hold these sins against you for the rest of your life, for the rest of eternity, you walk free from these sins. No more condemnation for you. What a relief. God forgives forever. In this moment, as God forgives this burdened soul, He's calling out this the psalmist who's going up to Jerusalem with his offering and he's calling out to God to accept him, to have mercy on him, to hear his cry. He's taking such comfort in the fact that God forgives. God is going to forgive me when I offer this offering. In this moment of distress, guilt and darkness, Harrison discovered that this moment can end. And for you as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you come to the Lord Jesus Christ and He gives you relief from this burden of having sinned against Him. God is your Father. As an unbeliever, as a person who's never experienced this wonderful moment of coming to God, you can come to Him even right now. You can trust God to have mercy on you in distress and to forgive you for your sin and free you forever. Complete pardon right now. The vilest offender, you remember, that has the hymn goes, who truly believes that moment, that moment from Jesus, a pardon receives. You can imagine if Harrison knew the words of the song, he would be singing it. Oh God, I'm free. His beautiful life is given to me. Jesus died as me. 
Can you imagine that? that? Imagine that moment. I just pray that God used this to save this man's soul and not just to save him from that little death bubble that he was trapped in. I think, I think we need to just, you know, it's pretty obvious, and this is right at the end. I'm about to finish this message. But I think we need to think of the obvious. That God doesn't rescue every single person from a little death bubble like this, does He? Some people die in their misery. Some people will not come to God. Some people will never see God as the beautiful God of mercy. Some people will only see God as an angry tyrant. Some people will see God as unreasonable and unhappy. And they will die in chains of misery. Remember in medieval times they used to speak about loading people with chains. You know, chaining a guy with chains that are so heavy. They don't even need to put a ball on the end. They just put so many chains on a guy that just the weight of moving his arm or moving his leg, you know, going from here to there is so exhausting, he just ends up sitting there and dying there because of the weight that is on him. If you do not know the God of mercy, that's how you die. You die in misery apart from the hope that this glorious God brings. Weeping, wailing and gnashing of teeth for the rest of eternity. Never even a hope of escaping by death. The psalmist ends in the last two verses and he says, O Israel, put your hope in the Lord. For with the Lord is unfailing love. And in Him is full redemption. He Himself will redeem Israel from all their sins. Wonderful, beautiful freedom. So let's finish with these few words. How complete this conclusion is. These few words in verses 7 and 8. Regardless of how dark your life has grown, you can hope in the Lord. You've already failed. You and I have already failed. Not only in your love for the Lord, but in your love for other people as well. And God Himself, oh what a glorious fact, will come to you personally in your distress. And He will buy you out of your sins and distress right now to the very last sinful thought forever. Lord, we've just looked at this story of Harrison. You know Harrison, Lord. You rescued him. You heard his prayer. You saw him in his misery and by your grace you rescued him. And Lord, you know that there's so many people in this church trapped in difficult, difficult circumstances. Lord, you've seen their misery as well. And Lord, thank you that you've, you've worked it so that this misery brings us to our knees and we call out to you. And Lord, I pray that you would hear the cry of every person in this church who's trapped in misery, in a situation that seems inescapable. And I pray, Lord, that you would rescue them from that in a, in a beautiful, beautiful way. Lord, I pray that you would give them some of the joy that this Harrison guy experienced as the diver surfaces and he's got this diver by the hand and he's not letting go. They didn't let go of him. And Harrison is living free. I pray, Lord, that you would give people in our church the joy of being rescued by God in their situation in the same way. Lord, I pray that you would save those who do not know you. 
We pray, Lord, that you would be pleased to bring us, each one of us, to a point where we see our need for you. That you would help us, Lord, to call out on you more and more and more and put our hope in your word. Lord, we pray that you would bless us through your word today. And we pray these things in Jesus' lovely name.